The scripture text is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 40. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek to do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God. Thank you. Okay. Where's the where's the good good spot for this? You put it in front like this. You don't have to show me. You can just. That's okay. I'll just do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Hey. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Thanks for the prayer, Kevin, for Theo. He's in the hospital now. Um, he was admitted to the ER, or he went to the ER today and was admitted, and um, he's doing all right. So he's just, they're wanting to make sure he's stable. He has a uh, col- colonic disease, and so it was fine for like the first three and a half years of his life, and then, well, not fine, he had two surgeries, but it's been fine for the last couple years, and so we're trying to figure him out. So apparently we got to like wait till he's seven. And then he'll be figured out, hopefully. 
That's how we. That's what all parents wish is once they're seven, they're all figured out. But anyway, it's good to be here. It was a lot, as Kevin said, to to prepare and preach. Saturdays are my prepping days, and Saturdays is the day your son goes to the ER. You're like, well, I got to figure this out. So I'm happy to be here. Happy to preach this word. This is a very strange text. This is a very challenging text. There's a lot in it, and so I'm excited to dig in. Let me pray, and uh, let's just enjoy reading what God has for us in his word. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, this morning to worship and praise and sing your name and to learn from your text and to um, be challenged and ask questions and to wrestle with these things. We want to be more like you, and we know that as we read your word, as we hear the preached word, as we wrestle with your word, we slowly become um, like like you. We become um, your image. We, we become renewed by your spirit. And so I pray that this morning is a uh, uh, is that is a blessing to us. Um, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So Corinth um, is, oh, you got the title there. Cool. Nice. All right. So Corinth is very similar to, to our modern day world. You know, it's very transient. It's diverse. It's fast paced. It, it was a place to establish a, a new life or a new identity you know, you could reinvent yourself in Corinth. You weren't tied down to what you and your family did. You kind of, you, you could do your own thing. You could create your own life. There wasn't anything you were anchored to. In Corinth, you know, you could, you could escape all of that, which, which was good, especially for those who didn't like where they came from. Corinth is very much like today. You know, if you don't like a place today, you can just go. If you don't like a job, you can go elsewhere and find a new job. Maybe even go to a different country and find a new job. If you don't like a church, you can just go. You can find another church that fits your liking, right? You can establish, reestablish your new identity anywhere else you go. And we, like the Corinthians, are very good at this. But Paul is a simple charge for the Corinthians and to us this morning. He tells us this, remain where you are. And this is challenging for us because we want to chase what's better. We want to rush into the new job. We want those new opportunities. We want to make a difference. But Paul is saying the opportunities are right in front of you. The real difference is made in your home or in the back, your backyard. Paul tells us that the present form of this world is passing away. Verse 31. And a new world has already emerged and it's requiring your investment now. So don't run away. Don't run away from it. The title of the sermon, as you can see behind you, is from a chapter in a book called Paul and the Apocalyptic Imagination. It's pretty good. Pretty good title. Uh, it's a book where several different authors write a chapter on a specific uh, book of the Bible or, or a, a specific text. And in this one here is um, the, the author, a uh, uh, Pauline scholar, well-known New Testament scholar, uh, John Barclay, writes this chapter, um, and it is titled, as you see behind me, Apocalyptic Allegiance and Disinvestment in the World. And so although this passage that we have here is, is often dubbed the singleness passage, it's actually, I think, a misnomer to call it that. 
Paul does talk about singleness in his passage, as you heard when the scripture was read. But what I think is a bigger highlight in this passage is actually Paul's call not to singleness, but to be single-minded. Paul's call is to be single-minded to the apocalyptic reality, which just means that Jesus has established a new way of doing things. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus establishes a new reality, an apocalyptic reality. And so now we're going to see how Paul says, because of this new reality that has been created through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul wants us to disinvest in our allegiance to the world and reinvest in our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. Anyone who prepares sermons will know most sermon preparation is is convicting. It's a challenging experience. But nothing has quite convicted me as much as preparing for this passage. There's so much here that's caused me to think deeply, caused me to examine my life and root out the true allegiances of my heart and really ask these questions to discern whether or not certain areas of my life the Lord is urging me to die or disinvest and other areas to invest. And so I hope, too, as we hear this word preached, that you feel, you feel that strain in a good way. And I'm excited to dig into it this morning. And I'm prayerful and confident that as we hear this word, that we will um, just have our hearts filled with a new desire, a new desire to follow Jesus, a new desire for this apocalyptic allegiance, an apocalyptic desire to prioritize the ways of Jesus over anything else. So it starts out, you know, in, in, in um, verse 17, saying, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them. You know, this, the scriptures have this painful but yet necessary and ultimately good tendency to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Like if you're comfortable right now in life, you probably shouldn't read the Bible, right? It's going to like, it's going to punch you in the nose. You're going to be like, I'm good, nothing, no worries. And you read the word and you're like, man, okay, you're right. But if you're afflicted, if you're really, really having a hard time, there's nothing as sweet as reading the word and knowing that no matter where you're at, no matter what dark corner of life you're in, you're seen and you're heard. The scriptures never want us to be so comfortable that we're not keeping watch, nor so afflicted that we lose hope. And does this amazing job of holding the two in tension, drawing us to the Lord no matter what season of life we're in. And so Paul opens up this passage, challenging our modern day mindset, says, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And he repeats that again in verse 20. In 24, in 26, if he he does it four times or more in a passage, you know it's important to hear that. And he says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And this isn't something just for the Corinthian church, right? Because he says at the end of verse 17, this is my rule in all the churches. This is his rule. This is not just something he's saying to this one audience. This is my rule in all the churches. It's foundational to Paul. It is something he makes sure is clear in all the churches. This is intro to Christian living. Remain where you are is fundamental to Paul. Or as one New Testament professor, scholar puts it, he says, bloom where you are planted. 
And this is Paul's rule in all the churches, which, mean, which means it's Paul's rule for Christ the King as well. And by rule, Paul isn't, Paul isn't using the word like, as like a rigid authoritarian. He just wants to say, this is our default posture. Rule as default posture. Good Christian living is about remaining where you are, tending to the needs around you, focusing on community building. This should be the default setting for the follower of Jesus because a new reality has collided with ours and that new reality has taken priority. The new king on the throne has called us to this apocalyptic allegiance which flips on its head what the world says is important and gives us a new vision for what matters. So where has God assigned you and what has God called you to? Calling language is uh, another one that our world loves, especially in the Christian world. We love the idea of being called, and we can quickly over-spiritualize calling language and apply it to, like, everything, right? You know, we can say we're called to a particular line of work. We can say we're called to a particular relationship. And one of the most romantic things you can do is tell the person you're interested that God is calling me to marry you. Try that out, right? It's so romantic. I'm kidding. Don't do that, right? That's not what call language means. Call language in the New Testament is conversion language. It's conversion language. When you became a Christian, you were called by God. When the Lord surgically removes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, you were called by God. But the world around us has, has tainted that purpose. It gives us a false narrative. What's going to be challenging, I think, for us is removing Removing the scripts of like a, an upward mobility culture, you know, get a high-paying job, become wealthy and successful, have the perfect marriage, change the world. And we apply those cultural narratives to our Christian narrative and calling, but the problem is that that's not the Christian calling at all. You've been called to something different. You've been called to something apocalyptic. A pastor friend of mine says it like this. He says, if you're obsessed with these things, these upward mobility things, you are obsessed with what is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. God has made the things the world treasures as irrelevant. In the new kingdom, they don't count for anything. And it was the same in Paul's day too. If we look at verse 19, he says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision which is an extremely radical thing for a Jewish person to say is circumcision was the defining mark for the Jewish people and them being a part of the covenant community of God. But Paul's point here is that there's a new priority. There's a new apocalyptic reality. That only thing that counts in this reality, also in verse 19, is what? Keeping the commandments of God. What Jesus says in Matthew Gospel of Matthew are summed up in, you know, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So where were you at the time of your call? Where are you today? Remain where you are. Keep the commandments of God in your midst. And this is the bread and butter of, of the Christian life. And this is what Paul wants to be our default posture in life. And this is not saying you can't change what's going on in your life, but it is saying the more you understand the gospel, the more you'll be focused on staying where you are as opposed to putting 
all your best time and all your energy and daydreaming to getting somewhere you aren't right now and achieving something you don't have access to yet. Paul doesn't want our energy in those things. Those things will happen, of course. You will change as life goes on, but that's not where we should be investing our time and energy. Paul wants us to slow down, remain where you are, start to shift your focus toward other things. He wants us to pause our hearts, pause our schedules and ask, am I doing what's of primary importance? How am I living right now? What are the new rules of the land? Am I too invested in this old kingdom, the earthly kingdom? Am I more obsessed with the world or the call of Christ? And again, this is not to say that what you do, your hobbies, your job, whether or not you marry or not doesn't matter. But what Paul's getting at and what the, the author of this article where I got the title from is uh, John Barclay alludes to in the title is that we need to disinvest, disinvest in the things of the world, reinvest in the things of the kingdom that is at hand. And really, if you think about it, this is just the process of sanctification, right? This is the process of maturing in Christ, that your taste buds no longer find appetizing the things of the world, and they slowly start to crave the things of the kingdom. And so this is what we should all attain as, as followers of Jesus. And that's why Paul spends so much time in this passage talking about singleness. And earlier in chapter 7, as, as Kevin preached last week, Paul says, I wish that all were like me, right? He, he, wants, he wishes all that were like him. He wishes all that were single because he realizes that there's things in our life that make this kind of radical living for Jesus just, just more challenging. Being married and having kids and, you know, these are great way to, ways to practice the, uh, the commandments of God of, of loving your neighbor as yourself. But they also introduce a lot of relational complexities and they can overwhelm us. And even, you know, as I look back in this week with, and not even mentioned that my other son or my other child was in the hospital that they went to the ER on Wednesday. And it's like, you know, you just got all these things you got to manage and it, it just divides your attention. It divides your interest. They're good things but it divides us. So Paul is saying, I wish that all were like me so that you don't have to stress about your child in the ER. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's, he's getting at with this passage. And so Paul's desire, the reason he's saying this, he wants us, as he says in verse 32, to be free from anxieties. Isn't that nice? We all want to be free. I feel like everyone is just like supremely anxious all the time. And Paul wants us to be free from anxieties. He wants us to be free from anxieties in this world. So, so what? Not just so that we can sit on a beach and hang and chill, so that we can be anxious about the things of the Lord. All right. Free from anxieties of the world so we can be anxious about the things of the Lord. Again, this passage isn't so much about singleness, but single-mindedness. And Paul is simply making the point that the less complexities, the less divided interests, the more time and energy you can focus on being single-minded toward the Lord, that is where he wants us to be. But we'll, we'll get more on, more on that later. Paul is just trying to simplify things for the Corinthians and for us. He's, he's calling us to remain where we are because he knows if we are overwhelmed and if we are stressed, we will not tend to the commandments of God, but rather our attention will be divided and our devotion will be divided so he says, don't seek to be doing something different from what you're doing now. Don't obsess about a different circumstance. Slow down, remain, 
remain where you are. A pastor friend of mine says it like this. He says, what matters in the Christian life is not your circumstances, but what you are doing in your circumstances. What matters is not where you are or where you might be, but how you are responding to where you are right now. What matters is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That passion for faithfulness, wherever you are, that's what really matters. Because I think we tend to think, maybe this new job will bring the opportunity we need. And once I get settled there, then I'll have a deeper devotion for the Lord. Or I just, if I just got married, then I would no longer be viewed as an outcast and I have an identity and a purpose that, that satisfies me. Or if my kids just do all these activities, then they, and if they don't do all those activities, I should say, then they won't stand out or they won't excel at sports or, or whatever thing you have them in. And so with each and every additional decision, more and more of our focus turns away from the things that are important to things that are, to things that are of lesser importance, really. And it just divides our interests. Again, it's not that these things don't matter. They're just not things of first importance. Or to quote my pastor friend again, he says, it's not that we want the wrong things. It's that we want the okay things too much. We want the okay things too much. What Paul wants us to know is this. Wherever you're at, Are you in the process of disinvesting in the things of this world? And are you in the process of reinvesting in the new kingdom? John uh, Barclay says it like this. He says, the logic is not, don't invest in this world because another one is about to begin, but don't invest in this world because an alternative and more important investment is already required of you. God's kingdom is already being established in the church, and that's where our focus needs to be. If you want to make an impact in the world, this is where it's at. Not out there, right here in our midst. So Paul reminds us again in verse 26, wherever we are at, remain. Because of the the present distress, right? It says that in verse 26. But I think it's better translated because of the present necessity present necessity. Because Jesus' coronation as king, right? He becomes king and he's brought about this new reality that demands a new necessity. There's There's a burden at play now. And so because of the present necessity, there's much work to be done. There's a resetting of priorities. There, there's now a new alignment to Jesus. So whatever you do, whether you're single, whether you are married, whether you're married with kids, the necessity to obey and follow Jesus is at hand. Or as Paul says in verse 35, we are, to, we are called to promote good order and secure our undivided attention to the Lord. And the best way to create order is to not add a bunch of new things to your plate. That will stress you out. So Paul tells us, verse 29 through 31, he says, From now on, From now on, let those who have wives live as if they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, 
and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with the world. Or to put it in another more familiar way, be in the world, but not of it. Hold everything with an open hand and firm up where your true allegiances lie. Why? Because the present form of this world is passing away. It's passing away. Don't be caught up, caught up in your circumstances. The world's passing away. Whether or not we are married, whether or not we are mourning, whether or not we are rejoicing, whether or not we have much or little, Paul is saying that no matter what our situation or circumstances, we have a new apocalyptic allegiance. The old is passing away. The new has come. It's fading. The old is fading. A new world's broken in. In the old world, your marriage, your status, your identity mattered. Your image mattered. But in this new world, what counts now? Keeping the commandments of God. That's all that counts. Circumcision doesn't count. I don't care how wealthy, I don't care what status you have. I don't care if you're a CEO. It's irrelevant. What matters? Keeping the commandments of God. When I was doing ministry with uh, college students up in the Northeast, I always wanted to remedy the idea of uh, senioritis. I hated senioritis. Because you pour into these leaders and like they're the best that they've been and then they just check out. You're like, come on, man. I spent three and a half years with you and you're supposed to give back. You're supposed to contribute. And they're just like, there's nothing I could do. I tried so hard to remedy that and there was nothing I could do to remedy it because, because why? The old is passing away. They were already invested elsewhere. They already had their job or they were going on to grad school or they, they were starting to invest in the new in-breaking world that had already come and they, they, were not, they were no longer involved in the world that was passing away. And so I started to see that this, okay, this is just a part of life. This is what we do. We can't invest in two places, especially when we're moving on. And so Paul is saying here, that world that we once knew, the world where all these things were valuable, the, all the things that we chase and make priorities are valuable, that's not valuable anymore. That has passed away. Disinvest over there. Reinvest over here. Keep doing those things, right? Keep working. I'm not telling you to not work. Keep doing those things, but do them as if you're not doing them, right? You're just like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? But do them as if you're not doing them. Just chew on that. Be in the world, but not of it. Do them as if you're not doing them. Disinvest there, reinvest here. What does it mean? What does it mean to invest in the things of the Lord? Reinvesting in the things of the Lord is simply investing in what's not passing away but investing in things that remain, which Paul says later in 1 Corinthians, the thing, things that remain are faith, hope, and love. Faith will eventually be made sight. Hope will eventually be fully realized. But Paul says one of these is the greatest, and the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love will remain even when all else is realized. Love will remain. And that is why the Christian life is one filled, <clears throat> filled with community building. It's one filled with loving your neighbor as yourself. It's filled with 
people. And so keeping the commandments of God is loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and building up your neighbor to know and love and fear the Lord. Investing in the things of the Lord is about investing in building up the church, the body in Christ, the body of Christ, because you know why? It's not passing away. Far more important than achieving a certain status in this life, far more important than getting that dream job, far more important than having a perfect marriage and a perfect family is whether or not the body of Christ is faithful in your midst right here, right now. There is no greater tragedy, brothers and sisters, when the body of Christ is so preoccupied with a world that is passing away that they can't smell the fresh fragrance of the kingdom that is right in front of them. There's no greater tragedy than when the body of Christ is just as selfish and just as greedy and just as self-interested as the world, and people look upon it and say, yeah, they're just like everybody else. And nothing is more important than when someone who doesn't know Jesus or has been disillusioned by Christianity comes into the body of Christ and has been disillusioned because they've seen hypocrisy and they've seen unchristlikeness to walk into the body of Christ and to get a taste of this apocalyptic allegiance. And they, and they think to themselves, they say, something... Something is different here. Instead of being a polished up picture of the world, these are new creatures and there's a new king. They are interested in what's unprofitable. They are serving the undesirable. They are inefficient with their time because they are more concerned with genuinely loving one another as opposed to slapping a band-aid on of it and moving on. And so ask yourself, simple question. How did Jesus spend his time? How did Paul spend his time? They were community builders. They focused on people. They found a small group of people, called them out of the world, invested in them so in the midst of the world, they'd be different from the world. And that is it. Nothing is more significant than this. And you need to believe that you play a part of it, part in it. You need to believe that you are the light of the world. You need to believe that you are the hope of the nations, the salt of the earth, because you are. That is who you are. So Paul says, remain where you are. Reposition, reprioritize, make the things of the Lord primary. Disinvest in the world, reinvest where your time and attention is lasting, opt out of the world's narrative that says meaning and purpose come from power and status and wealth and adopt this apocalyptic narrative and devote yourself to the body of Christ. Or as a friend of mine says, actively leave good things on the table for the sake of better things. Leave good things on the table for the sake of better things. And you know the irony in all of this? The irony in all of this is that if you chase after trying to be somebody, you actually end up being a nobody. But if you invest in the lives of people right here, right now, not seeking to be a somebody in the eyes of the world, you actually end up being a somebody to the people right in front of you, to the people that matter, to the people where it cares.
you actually end up being remembered by not seeking to be remembered, and you actually end up making an impact, a real impact. I mean, isn't that true of the people who have impacted you, the people who spent time with you, they disinvested in the things of this world and reinvested in you. They actively put good things on the table for the sake of better things, namely you. The present necessity is that we focus our time in keeping the commandments of God. The time, or as Paul says, the appointed time has grown very short. Build where moth and rust will not destroy And I wish Paul said this in here, but welcome to the apocalypse. That's what I wish he said. Uh, Welcome to the new way of doing things. This is what our building does. Welcome to the apocalypse. So to conclude, I'm going to give a few practical um, words. To the single person, we'll talk about some of the things that Paul addresses here. To the single person, how can you be single minded in your devotion to the Lord. Paul says he wishes all were like you, so you've got one thumbs up already. But that also means he has a higher expectation from you. So how do you spend your time? Or maybe you feel the weight of the gaze from under is wondering why you're not married. But don't let that divert your mission. Remain where you are. I think you're a superhero in the church. Some of the most faithful people that have ever blessed me and, and, and helped mold me have been my single brothers and sisters. Because you know why? They just have more time. They've got more time to think about these things. So if you're single, how do you be single-minded to the Lord? Think about the things of the Lord more. To the married person, how can you be single-minded in your devotion to the Lord? Honestly, just listen to Kevin's sermon from last week. That was really good to just summarize what does it look like to be married and the blessing of marriage. He says something to the tune of, marriage is a great way to practice the love love your neighbor as yourself. The self-giving love that we are called to do for our neighbor is most intimately practiced with your spouse. So I can't really think of a a better way of, of keeping or practicing the commandments of God than by starting with loving your spouse as yourself. But do ask the question, are your interests divided, right? That's Paul's warning here. Are your interests divided? If that is the case, seek to make them aligned. And, you know, you may work hard to to not be anxious about one another and each other's needs. It might be a stretch to focus your attention on, 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 putting that anxiety to the Lord and being anxious about the things of the Lord together. I understand life happens, but work on that. Become a team, and I do think that you can be single-minded in your devotion to the Lord as a married couple. To those who have children, how can you be single-minded in your devotion to the Lord with kids? Uh, Again, your children are neighbors, right? Those are your neighbors. Love them. Know them. Seek them out as a collective, but also as individuals. They will be molded by your investment in them, and they will help reveal the artificial parts of your devotion to the Lord. And they surely will divide your interests, right? I'm not arguing that. They're going to divide your interests, but they're going to give you an authentic test of how far are you willing to go to love your neighbor as yourself. 
I know I've been tested several times in that, and I know if you have kids, you have as well, because they are precious and they are a blessing. Steward your time well with them. And this last category I'm going to talk about, it's not really in the text, but I do think it's an idol in our modern world. So I'm going to say, to the worker, how can we work with a single-minded devotion to the Lord? Not seeing our job as a calling, per se, and trying to conquer the business world and, and work up the ladder, but seeing how our calling as Christians is to love the Lord our God and love our coworker as ourselves. To be a knowledgeable, hard worker who's actually really good at our job, not so we can climb the ladder, but so that we can help build up others around us. And if we work in an area where maybe we have control or we have some authority, we have employees, if you want to say that, then to use our influence to actually better our coworker, to love our coworker, think of new ways, new policies to benefit them, to care about them as human beings, not because it's more profitable, but because it's good. And we have a single-minded devotion to the Lord. So, I mean, there are tons. You can read this passage and think of other categories. If you're a student, if you're divorced, whatever it is, how can you be single-minded in your devotion to the Lord? Because Paul isn't saying, go chase some dream, remain where you are, stay where you are, and just serve him. No matter what you're doing, ask this question, what am I doing, and can I be faithful where I am right now? Because that's all Paul is exhorting you to do in this passage. Be faithful. Disinvest in the world. Be free from the anxieties of the world and do just that. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this strange and wonderful passage. We want to be single-minded in our devotion. We don't want to be bogged down from all that we have in our life. And I understand life can be demanding. You can be tossed to and fro by the waves of culture, by the needs, good needs in front of us but may we not lose our single-minded devotion to you, Lord. May we realize that we're in a new reality right now. The time is short. There's a new present necessity. And all that matters, all that matters is are we keeping the commandments of God? Are we loving you, Lord, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? Let's not complicate it, but let's think, how can we do this? How can we do this today? How can we as the church truly be a light to the nations? In Christ's name we pray, amen.